the current thing with me, Nick Dixon, where we talk about politics, the culture war, and anything else that comes up. And today we have another very special guest, top comedian, star of GB News, and second best person on headliners. It's Mr. Leo Curse. Thanks for being on the show, Leo. Hello, thanks for having me. I, I didn't know you, you thought Josh was better than me. <laughs> there he is, straight in with a killer joke. Killer. That's why we have him on the show. That's why he's on GB News. Just wakes up hilarious. We're doing it quite early as well. Far too early for me and probably you. Although you've got it, a baby. It's the afternoon. I mean, yeah, that is a sign. Like for comedians, I guess, like uh, we're, we don't we don't really get up early because you're always getting back from gigs late or now that we're not doing gigs anymore because we've been cancelled. Now that we're doing headliners on GB News instead, we're getting back late. Yeah, yeah. I had an appointment that yeah, there. I got back at one a.m. from headliners. Then the appointment the next day was between eight and three. I'm like, really, eight and three? That's the best you could do. This is a collapsing country, Leo. And then they yeah. came at eight, so I'm still tired from that. Then I played football last night. Woke up early this morning. I'm I'm knackered. Yeah, it's anyway. like when you're getting a delivery and they're like, we're gonna come between like seven a.m. and four p.m. and it's like, and they're like, where where do you live? And it's like, oh, I live between one and nine hundred ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah Little yeah joke. do your best i know when did, when when did that become acceptable to me that's just the decline of the country the decline of the west because there was some point where you had to do you imagine that in the like 40s or 50s you know you can't we'll be there between eight and three like it would have been like 1 p.m and they were on the dot you know what i mean and it would yeah. have been very and they'd have been dressed with a bowler hat 1 p.m on the dot and it'd if they brought, came later it'd be brought in a cart dragged by a horse yeah like exactly step and son but they'd be absolutely on time. And if they were later, it would be frowned upon in the community. And yeah, they'd be like yeah. whispered they'd, about in church. And, and finally <laughs> drowned as witches. Yeah. It was a great system. Exactly. And now we're like, someone just one time said, we'll be between one and two. And I was like, all right, well, okay, I guess that's okay. And then it just fucking fell apart. Yeah, this arms race to like, you know, pretty soon they'll be like, we'll, we'll deliver your sofa uh, sometime during the, the Mesolithic era. <laughs> Yeah, it's disgusting. I get so annoyed with it. And then when, I, I don't like it when people come earlier or later than the appointed time. I'm like, come at the appointed time. Yeah. Sometimes they just try it earlier. It's like, no, no, I'm doing stuff earlier. Do you know what I mean? Because I've like got like a life and a job. I, who are these people that can just wait in from eight till three? Yeah. I've been I'm trying to fix a leak in my flat for so long because they're so incompetent and they take so long. It, literally, I've realized it's going to be quicker to sell the flat than fix the leak and that is actually now what i'm doing I'm, it's not even a joke i am gonna sell it before i can get the leak fixed that is broken britain man and so many people are like oh, it's not our responsibility you have to call the went around like five people passing the book broken britain i sound like i've gone full gammon right out of the gate <laughs> um it's what happens at a certain age but um leo on that to- sort of vague topic as we record, we're going to do sort of semi-topical because this might be like a week before this comes out. So I thought we'd go semi-topical, but this will be probably a big topic for a while, which is the Nigel Farage Coots thing I wanted to ask you about because it's, it's just massive as we record. And that is the decline of the country as well. Suddenly you've got a bank that can get rid of you. And you guys had a great clip about it on Headliners last night, which I shouted out on Twitter. The idea of a bank, I said probably the most chilling line in the Coots dossier. So there's this whole dossier that's been released proving Farage completely right. Yep. And all the sort of BBC gimps completely wrong. Yeah, because originally, originally Farage was accused. Like he he said he his bank account was cancelled, and he said I think it's because of my opinions. And then there were leaks to the BBC from Coots, you know, off the record employees or whatever, saying basically smearing Farage and saying, oh, it's because he didn't have enough money. It's you know he's just making up all this this stuff about it being about his opinions. And the BBC just unquestioningly, uncritically. Reported that with um, what John Sopel. Uh, there's another another BBC reporter, Simon Jack, I think. Yeah, so yeah, he he just you know just and sneeringly sort of saying and you know poo pooing any any notion of uh, of you know this building actually being a concentration camp. And uh, and I, I don't know for for them to to do that, it shows that you know everything the establishment is sort of working in cahoots against people like Farage. They weren't. They weren't. You know, doing their doing their due diligence and and checking to see if Coots were actually doing it. Anyway, Farage. Then I don't know if he did a freedom of information request or or what sort of request uh, for documents that that mentioned his name. And it turns out they totally did. They, there's like board meetings and they're looking at his social media. They're literally monitoring his social media, like looking at why they're and they've they've noted. Oh, he shared this Ricky Gervais clip, and it's like what. <laughs> <laughs> so he's not allowed a bank account because he shared a Ricky Gervais clip. Are you absolutely insane? So what, now 98% of the country isn't allowed a bank account because they like Ricky Gervais? Yeah. 
incredible. And yeah, like Coots is working in cahoots. Maybe that's where the name comes from. But yes, yeah. yeah, so I think Sopal is ex-BBC, now LBC, isn't he? And he said, he put up this tweet at the time, you must feel a bit of a Charlie if you're Nigel Farage and you claim that it's all an establishment stitch-up, that your account's been closed, when it's just you're not rich enough. So I'm starting of thinking a GoFundMe page for Nigel to get him his account back. And I'm like, going to leave this up, John? Do you know what I mean? Like, it was already dodgy misinformation to anyone with eyes. Now it's yeah. like confirmed with a massive dossier. And I said the most chilling part was this line where they said, this was not a political decision, but one centered around inclusivity and purpose. It's like... That's not political, is it? Inclusivity, one of the most woke buzzwords. And what that says to me is either they're lying straight up, saying it's not political, or actually more scarily, they're so entrenched in the ideology, they don't actually realise that that is an ideological stance and that there are other opinions available. Well, yeah, every everything they say in their uh, in their things, so inclusivity, diversity, equality, it's all absolute nonsense. It's all the words. The way they apply the words is the opposite of what they mean. So inclusion should mean everyone is included. Everybody is made to feel welcome, no matter what. In reality, they're excluding people. They're saying, and it happened to me when I got banned from uh, from a, a venue in Australia. Uh, my show got banned after accusations of transphobia. That uh, turned out to be quite accurate. But they, they said, <laughs> this is an inclusive space. You have to leave. And it's like... <laughs> Man, if it's an inclusive space, why do I have to leave? You know, pick a different word. Pick a, you know, pick a word, you know, this is a really intolerant, bigoted, narrow-minded space, so you have to leave. That makes sense. You know what I mean? And it's the same with this, you know, tolerance. They've got no to- tolerance for Nigel Farage. They've got, uh, they, they brag about diversity. Man, they got, they, they want no diversity of opinion. Like, if, if you voted Brexit or if you, uh, you know, you have certain opinions about the vaccine, you know, they, they don't want you to, to have a bank account there. It's absolute madness. I wish they just cared about making money. Yeah, I know. That would be so nice, wouldn't it? I mean, the one part that really freaked me out was the phrase disingenuous grifter, because that's yeah. when I realised this is being run by some FBPE Twitter activists, yeah. like that's the language of those people. Like that's a, that's a child saying that. This this is not an adult decision by a bank. <laughs> what it seemed to me, reading, I mean, someone guy went over it and said and said, unless uh, Nigel Farage makes a statement that glorifies or promotes harmful behaviour, we need to consider his default ambient reputation, which I agree is captured for many as disingenuous grifters. He was quoting it back, and it's like really so. So, so what? My, I don't know what your take on how this happened, Leo. My take is. That a load of sort of lower level, you know, sort of young activist idiot types at the bank, you don't have that much else to do, put this thing together. Then it was sort of shown to sort of higher up people who went, oh, yeah, I guess he is a bit of a risk sort of thing. Because, or does, the, does it go right to the top? I mean, who comes up with this stuff, disingenuous grifter? Where's that coming from in the bank? I mean, well, and also as a member of the disingenuous grifting, grifting community, I find it very offensive, you know, that, that kind of language. Uh, we prefer, yeah. there, there are other we, terms. We get called grifter. I always think we're on the worst possible grift. We're on the one where you get hated by everyone. You can't have a bank account. <laughs> you're not you allowed to earn a living. Right, right. You don't. You can earn less. You're like you're not allowed in the BBC. Like you've admitted, you've already agreed you're going to earn less in your life. You're going to be hated by everyone. You can't tell like your football team or your hairdresser what you do. I can tell my barber because he's cool. Yeah. But remember our producer who they stopped his haircut halfway through because <laughs> he said he worked yeah. at GB News. So yeah. yeah, what a yeah, what a great grift here, guys. It's the grift that makes your life worse in every way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it, yeah, it's a nonsense. Yeah, it's more like a last minute, last like last ditch resort. I mean, do you think? Do you see this? This bank thing has just got me so. Do you see this being? Why didn't they realize they do in the internal document? You see that they realize he will go public. Why did yeah. that not bother them more? Why did they not think is this a good idea? Well, this is the thing because they talk about uh, you know he's a reputational risk to the bank. And nobody knew that Nigel Farage banked at Coots. It was it was a secret. And even when he announced that his bank account had been sh- shut down uh, because of his opinions, or he thought because of his opinions, turned out he's, he was right about that. Um, people were like, "Well, wh- what's the bank? When are they going to release what the bank is? What the bank is?" And I think you know he was waiting to see if they did anything to make the situation better before he outed them. And so even with all that intense speculation about who he banked with. We still didn't know who he banked with. So how on earth could it have been a reputational risk when nobody knew? You know what I mean? It's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. I'm not sure I'd even heard of Coots. Like, this is the first I'd heard about them, is that they're absolute, like, communist dicks. Yeah, I, went, I went for a job interview with them. It must have been, like, about 25 years ago. 
uh, when I first, uh, maybe not 25, maybe like 20 years ago when I first moved to London. And uh, it's funny because like obviously back then, you know, diversity and stuff wasn't wasn't their, uh, wasn't their thing because I was the only non-posh, uh, non-posh sort of English white guy um, in the in the interview process. And we did, we had these sort of like, we had gr- group interviews where you have tasks to complete. And I smashed it, you know what I mean? Because I'm dead brainy. And... They, obviously, I never got got the call because of my accent. You know what I mean? So and like when when we, they they led us round, it was on on the strand. They led us round all the um, they had the uh, this cupboard with the Queen's cutlery and stuff because obviously the Queen Bank's there. Um, and they, uh, Prince Philip would probably have his bank account cancelled now. But uh, but yeah, they showed us all the the cutlery and stuff that the Queen Queen used. And they're all proud of that stuff. I don't know. I wish they just kept on to that sort of, you know, that love of tradition and poshness instead of uh, trying to destroy it in the worst possible way. Yeah, yeah, because you didn't align with the values of the bank, Leo, which they're now still <laughs> using. But now the values are sort of weird, woke communism. But then they were just sort of classic poshness. You weren't just, you just weren't posh enough. But yeah. it's still the same thing, isn't it? It's the values of the bank. The old elite were better. Yeah, and it's still, this- it's still just classism. It's still, you know what I mean? <laughs> Well, right. if you're if you're a working class, if you're a Millwall supporter, man, you're you're not you got the wrong opinions. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's ridiculous. And you know they they talk about they talk about their values. I wish their values were just making a profit. I wish all companies just cared about making a profit because there's no way that cancelling Nigel Farage's account. They said it was a an account that they made money on. Uh, so it's a commercially viable account. It's, it's generating income for them. Um, and getting rid of him. It's not gonna make. It's not gonna make profit. Other people finding out that they cancelled him because of this isn't gonna make them profit. And if you go back, you know, fifteen years, uh, Coots are owned by Nat West, who you know went tits up in the in the financial crash and had to be bailed out with billions of pounds of taxpayers' money. Uh, which Nigel Farage, as a taxpayer, he would have contributed to that. He would have helped bail out Coots, bail out Nat West. Um, you and I, as taxpayers. Uh, as well, and we're still paying for it. We still own almost 40% of NatWest. And for them to be in so much debt to Farage and to us and to the British taxpayer and to be acting like this, I don't know, man, that's just like, it's disgusting. And it was shocking how the so-called left was siding with it. There was that funny clip with Constantine, and was it, is it Paul Mason? And he said, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just making the case for international banking or something and then it's, constantly, <laughs> it's a good cause it's a great cause like, <laughs> well, why are the left like i'm just on the side of the bankers guys how did yeah. that happen it's good yeah. they realize gone well you see that you see that with so many things like somebody some leftoid was uh was having a go at me on twitter the other day about ben and jerry's or something and it's like well actually i want to buy an ice cream that uh, that reflects my values that aligns with my values or um and I, I want to use an ice cream brand that reflects my values. It's like, man, they don't have any values. They just want to sell ice cream. When yeah. well, I'm to the left, like, you know, 20 years ago, I remember growing up in the 90s, everybody, you know, because we're all left wing, obviously, because we're young and stupid, but we had an immense distrust of institutions, of, uh, of corporations, and now the left has flip-flopped and they're like completely in the pocket of these corporations who've worked out that if you stick a pride flag on something and cancel the right people, all of a sudden all these all these like leftists who are supposed to be I mean being being left wing used to be about, you know, sticking up for the little guy. Now now the left, man, like you say, they're going into battle for banks. Not just a bank, Coots Bank, the bank for the poshest, richest people in the world. It's like, wow, that's the hill you're gonna die on? I know, embarrassing. And this guy Oliver Cam said, it's entirely reasonable for a company with a publicly quoted parent to decide for itself who it will take on as a customer according to its own judgment of what's important. Shareholders can swiftly divest if they value other things more. I mean, there's all this weird defense of this stuff. I guess you must have meant, I, mean, I assume he did. There was, there's all this defense of it, isn't there? Oh, private, it's the old private company thing. Oh, it's a private company. Yeah. Until Elon Musk takes over Twitter and then they all freak out. Yeah, or what somebody do think- doesn't want to bake a cake that's shaped like Freddie Mercury's dick or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> what is the argument, though? What, do we just say, I mean, Josh was implying on headliners it should be a human right because if we're going into a cashless society, what is the argument for, what's the sort of legislative argument for why a bank shouldn't do this? How, how do we put that through? How do, how do we stop it? Well, funnily enough, I spoke to a lawyer about this because uh, it is a breach. I mean, it would be a breach of a direct breach of law in Ireland, I believe, because they've got a constitution that is based on the you know Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So, Article Twenty Three 
of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which I think the UK has signed up to. I don't know how this you know, directly relates to, to UK law, but Article 23 is you've got the right to, um, to have a job and make money and be paid and stuff like that. And this is a direct contravention of that because uh, it's not just Coots. Nigel Farage went to 10 other banks and uh, they all said no. You know, so it's, 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 it's something that's, that's across the sector. Uh, and that's that's a yeah that's a direct breach of his of his uh, human rights. And I mean it's not like I mean at least when there was cash, you could you could feasibly get paid in cash and probably pay uh, you know live from cash. Um, but now I mean there, there there's so many shops won't take cash. And you can see in five ten years time, man, it's going to be cash is going to be an absolute rarity. So, uh, so yeah, you absolutely have to have access to, to banking to, you know, just to have any sort of function as an individual. Um, so, yes, it's a, it's a breach of, uh, it's definitely a breach of his human rights under the U Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And it's possibly a breach of law. Yeah, they can, and if it isn't, they're going to have to change something. It, one thing that really bothers me in this whole culture war is just why are you doing this? Yeah. It's just like, I just think, stop it. I just think all the time, this is so obviously the wrong thing to do. It's yeah. just a few activists, obviously, who are deeply entrenched in this ideology, think, oh, we're doing a great thing here. And and if they even think that, who knows what goes through their heads. But it's so obviously a bad thing to debank someone because of their political views. It's so obviously a terrible precedent. And where will it go? I mean, does it ever just bother you? Just like, I just think sometimes just stop doing this. I just think it's so <laughs> painful to me that, that all this sort of wokeness, whatever you call it, it's so easily avoidable. And it's just, I don't know, I'm maybe not expressing it well because I'm tired, but I'm just so angry sometimes. How do you go through this process thinking, we're doing a great thing here? Well, yeah, because, I mean, the woke warriors, you can see it on Twitter. You know, they got the, they got the knives out, they're, they're tweeting things like, first they came for Tommy Robinson, I thought that was great. Then they came for Katie Hopkins, I thought that was great too. Now they come for Nigel Farage, that's brilliant as well. Well, hey, you know, they, they think it's some sort of uh, victory against, uh, against these oppressors. And yeah, it's an absolute absolute nonsense you know what i mean i mean this is uh, they, they don't seem to understand where this i mean i was going to say where it leads we're already there i mean yeah. nigel farage hasn't done anything illegal to get his accounts cancelled they i mean they repeat uh, in the in the um dossier they, they repeat these uh, I, these claims that he's paid russian money uh, but there's no uh, evidence i mean they say they say themselves there's no evidence of russian money going into his account there is bank they would know if he was receiving russian money you know what i mean they've got the you know so uh, so i mean I, th I think that's a that's a nonsense uh, so it is it's purely ideological uh, and sort of thematic it's like you know he's uh, he looks He's got the wrong optics, you know what I mean? Right. And this is this is what everybody worries about these days. Even like me and Nico were at Top Secret, and another comedian, Archie uh, Archie Maddox, uh, you know, turns around to Nico, and he's like, "Nico, are you are you right wing?" And uh, Nico's like, "You know, what what do you mean? Um, like not particularly." And uh, Archie's like, "Your Twitter uh, has got right wing optics." Like comedians, comedians are supposed to be like, you know, unashamed truth tellers. Don't don't give a shit about what anybody thinks. It's like instead, you know, oh no, you got to focus group your optics in case you know some tweet that you said, some points in a beanie hat might think it's you know, it's got right wing optics. I don't know, man. When when comedians start thinking like Keir Starmer, and you know, <laughs> we need to think about the optics of this tweet. Yeah, yeah, it's sticking plaster politics. You all right, Archie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's so oh, weird, fuck isn't it? it? Archie Maddox with a big, soggy, fucking mushy ass and his, like, his hat covering his bald spot, man. Try to talk like he's street when he's, like, the poshest kid in the world. i got a funny story about him. Me and... Um, I was doing an a sort of urban gig in, uh, in South London where it was me, Darius, uh, and Archie. And uh, Archie, Archie opened and, and he goes up and he does this like thing about um, an urban gig, you know, it's, it's like 95% black or whatever. Um, Archie opens and he does this joke about, he went into a coffee shop and the guy behind the counter was so afraid of looking racist uh, that he couldn't say, uh, he couldn't say black about the coffee. So he called it an African-Americano. Um, and uh, then I went up and I was Decent like... Joke. Uh, yeah, kind of hack joke. But uh, then I went up and I was like, "Yeah, I was I was in a coffee shop and the guy behind the counter uh, couldn't he couldn't say he couldn't say white, uh, so he said milkless." 
Uh, so it was an obvious piss take of that, and uh, and everybody laughed. And then, even though it's not funny now, but then Darius <laughs> Darius is closing, and he goes up, and he's like, "Yeah, so I was I was in a coffee shop, right? And the guy couldn't say Iranian." <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> of course you say that when you're ordering a coffee. But yeah, yeah, that's funny, man. Man, that, all right, that, all right, I, I get it. That anecdote wasn't that great, Nick. You don't. No, need no. To- it was, it, well, it was. If you know the people, it's hilarious because Darius, it's classic Darius. But um, but I, I feel bad for Archie because we, we're di- we've distant and I, he's always been perfectly nice to me. But but it's an example of he's what's a great happened to comedy. He's a yeah. great guy, stand-up guy, great Brilliant. guy. Some of the best optics I've seen. Some great optics and um. It just reminds me of the article we did on Headliners the other day. David Stubbs has written a book about comedy, and the whole it was an extract or piece about it, and it was in the Guardian. He was saying like comedy is more inclusive and kind now, and it's still funny, and it doesn't need to punch down. It was so annoying the, yeah. the article. It just was like it's just like oh, it's, it, you mean it's become this weird business where everyone's careful about optics and what they say, and they all pretend to be nice. This, the, 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 as we know, the nicest. The ones who are the most optic are the worst people yeah. in private. And the ones who seem like dicks like us are the, are the best people. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you kind of buck that trend a bit, Nick. Yeah, I, I mean, you, that's true. You managed to seem like a terrible person and be a terrible person. And be, yeah, I'm working on it, though, Leo. I'm going to therapy. But um, what do you think? Of, and by the way, by the way they, they said that Farage was incredibly polite to everyone and an exemplary customer. And I, I just got thinking about your thing about when you went in coots in the past and they were just simply posh. The problem is we lost the old elite, Leo. One of my theories on this is the old elite messed up with the First World War. It was a stupid war that we didn't need. It was horrifically destructive, obviously. Right. And after that, notice they had to give the vote. They had to start giving the vote away. Well, they gave it to women, whatever we think of that. And then they, um, but they also gave it to men who, pr- prior to that, men, I think it was had to be 30 years old and have property to vote. But once you have hundreds of thousands of men die in this futile war... They, had, they said, well, we've got to give these people something. They, they had some political leverage. My theory is that's when it all sort of started to go wrong because, you know, we started to just give everyone the vote and we started to have this more allegedly more democratic thing, which hasn't really worked out like that. And I would just, I think the old posh elite were better. They, we knew where we were. They were posh. They were aristocratic. They did what they wanted, but, but they sort of, they had a paternalistic quality. That's just my theory. I wasn't around then. What do you think to that? No, I don't. I don't think the. I mean, I, I don't think it was a, a better system. But I don't think the world was better in 1914 than it, than it is now. <laughs> no, but prior to that, wasn't I mean, wasn't Britain's best and they time? Didn't even like have the era. <laughs> we got PlayStation Five now. They didn't even have PlayStation One. So you know what I mean? Like we got so we got antibiotics. We've got televisions. We've got cars. There's so well, much. Well, antibiotics were accelerated by the Second World War by that guy Howard Florey because they they had to get them out because of the war, so they they sped it up. But yeah, yeah. I mean, the but Dominic Frisbee said this on the show. He was like the best time. He said eighteen something. I can't remember what exactly, but it's that time when when Britain it was still sort of the the main player in the world. What do you think that felt like though? I know we've got the internet now, and I take your point because things were really boring. Even when I was growing up, there was like you had like one vhs tape of something you'd seen eight times it was like things were really boring before the internet but politically everything was much more stable don't you think the 80s and 90s was such a better time with the caveat that you didn't have the internet so sometimes you were just stuck on a sunday and there was nothing on telly that's the thing i mean we did have boredom um which isn't a thing that really exists anymore um but yeah we'd we'd sometimes have we'd sometimes have to read We'd have to read stuff off <laughs> off paper. It was uh, it was created instead of scrolling through um, through dancing nurses. Um, but I think boredom is you know in some way sort of essential for the development of a healthy mind and a healthy personality. Uh, so we're we're missing we're missing something in that. Uh, but yeah, the nineties because I, I think what what the internet has done is brought us back to the sort of Salem witch hunt type mentality where we act as as mobs we get this mob mentality and see it on twitter and see it in other places and a lot of people don't i mean i've had twitter mobs come after me a lot of people don't realize it it doesn't really mean anything it's just mad people on twitter going going crazy for the afternoon it's like a tiny it's like a a tiny moat a a speck of dust in in a beam of light it's there and then it's gone it's not this um this thing that 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 lasts so i think it changes the way people behave and not not in a healthy way uh, but I think we've just got to we've just got to learn to to live with it. Um, what 
what worries me more is like you know this sort of mob behavior and this puritanical you know judgment behavior and and people uh, saying this is the right the right beliefs the right values and all the rest of it that then parlay this tra that translating into people getting fired from jobs people getting their bank accounts shut down and uh, and like you and I we, you know we've been we've been cancelled to a certain extent not because we couldn't do our jobs not because we couldn't get on stage at comedy clubs and make people laugh but because you know ugly fat blue-haired wankers and because the, the trouble with the comedy industry it was taken over uh, it was taken over by fat ugly women who hate comedy and don't know what it is and they, they've got massive egos and massive uh, insatiable hunger for power um, and they, they, they want to control things so they pick uh, you know shitty whining comedians they can they can control like Nish Kumar is uh, you know he's a, he's a malleable um, you know, people can get their, their fingers into his brain and, and, and squidge him around like one of those, uh, you know, dolls, you, one of those things that goes in your finger. It's just, you know, all, I look at the, the British comedians over the last 10 years. They're all whining. They're all ugly. They're all rubbish. None of them have blown up. You know, they try, they push these. Oh my God, they push them. They give them every fucking, it's like, how many times, how many times you, you want to do live at the Apollo and still nobody likes you. You're still at like, 8,000 followers on Instagram or whatever. It's like, man. And then you see the real people who come through and actually make it big. Uh, I've, I've got some, you know, I've got something about them. But yeah, man, that, that whole, like the comedy industry becoming an industry, instead of it being led by the talent, being led by agents and, you know, these sort of, um, these sort of ugly power crazed harridans in the in the industry that's i mean that curdled comedy i think and then people people couldn't speak freely and i think that's happening across across the whole of industry and the whole of the west um it all comes down to ugly women well i mean i i don't i don't attack people's um look because then I, then they might do it to me and i don't like it but your general point absolutely comedy was taken over by activists instead of comedians it became a sort of viable thing one thing is it became cheap programming from the bbc that they could that got massive views from people like Michael McIntyre. So they said, oh, how can we ruin this and turn it into social engineering? Because yeah. they can't resist doing that. And Michael, yeah, McIntyre, became... Michael McIntyre is a classic example of an absolutely sensational comedian who came up through the clubs. He was doing jonglers. He was doing all the clubs that, you know, you and I used to do. Uh, absolutely smashing it. Uh, man, and if, if you see him live, I mean, now he's got to sort of tone his act down because he's got to appeal to everybody from eight years old to, to 80. Um, but man, when he goes off in one, he's absolutely killer and really, really edgy. He's got he had that he had that bit that was on a Russell Brand show um, ages ago uh, about uh, being in a room with um, Gordon Brown, uh, David Blunkett, and Tony Blair, and about only only three working eyes in the room. And I mean, it, it's really it's really edgy and really kind of would be considered offensive, but you know, incredibly hilarious. Yeah, and and he he did absolutely slay in the clubs, whatever people think of him, and. Um, and that was the system. And the big question I always asked was, could McIntyre get through today? Yeah. Today, meaning a few years ago when I was still doing comedy all the time. And and I just, I wasn't sure. And because people could always say about me and they have said, oh, you're just shit. And, <laughs> and the comedy industry for a few, for one week said that en masse for a while. And that was when I yeah. had my mini cancellation and it ended up in the two national newspapers and the, the Jeremy Vine show. But, um, but what happened there was, I, and yet the, the question was always for people like you and me, will we hit a ceiling because of our immutable characteristics, being straight white men? And will we hit it because of our views as well and because of our general disagreeable nature? Even though I'm an agreeable person, actually, but our general outspoken views, let's say. So, yeah. And you, never, you were never sure. You always felt, no matter how good I am, there will be a ceiling. But then people say, well, then how has James Acaster got through or whoever it is? You know, or Sean Walsh, who's a great guy and brilliantly talented comedian. He did run into a roadblock when he got cancelled, but then he sort of come back. So is it just that is it just still about being good enough, or is it just politics will shut you down? Yeah, I mean Sean Walsh is uh, he's an amazing comedian, but I think I mean he's not he's not reached the heights that um, somebody of his talent would have reached if he'd you know started in the nineties. Also, he's, man, he he started young. He was the sort of last wave of the sort of when it was acceptable to be uh, a straight white man. You know, the sort of Jack Whitehall uh, Jack Whitehall uh, movement. Um, 
So now, of course, man, if you look at if you look at the live at the Apollo, it looks like a university prospectus cover. Uh, they're they're just uh, you know cherry picking people who who match you know a certain uh, you know Dulux color chart rather than looking at what they're saying and uh, and picking them because that. Yeah, and actually, that's not even made up. There was a, a year at the Edinburgh Awards. Not that those things matter anymore, but they sort of comedians think they matter. And um, someone who was was a person of color missed out, and he said that apparently. One of the judges, according to him, had said, "Oh yeah, we need to we need to have a more visibly diverse." I think the word "hue" was even mentioned, meaning <laughs> it's not dark enough this year. And this is actually how these people think. It's terrifying. Yeah. And it's some posh white woman leading the whole, you know, just like with a color chart, like you say, going, "Oh, we need to." I mean, it's disgusting, really. But yeah. um, yeah, it's a, it's a sick industry. I'm glad to be distanced from it. Really, really well, awful. And the and the great thing about about YouTube and whatever this thing you're doing now is you you know you can have that sort of direct link with uh, with your audience, um, so you don't need to go through these these um, middle aged ugly women who hate comedy anymore. You can go direct <laughs> to the audience. There aren't these gatekeepers. Yeah, and I've set up buy me a coffee, and people just buy me coffees randomly. It's brilliant just to give me money because they like your work and appreciate it. What a great system! But just... don't I mean? Do you have to drink all that coffee? That's the only problem, Leo. I am up all night um, with you know. The and you got you but... got nothing else in the house as well. You got thirteen hundred <laughs> coffees. Yeah, I know. And you're like, I, know, oh, I'm I wish start it... selling coffee. If only I could just have some money instead of all this coffee. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say one more thing about the comedy stuff. I can't. I'm, it's gone out of my mind because I haven't drank my sixteen coffees. I've become too adapted, so I need twenty now to be able to think of things. Um, sometimes though, Twitter mobs. Do go over into real life. You're saying, you know, sometimes you can just ignore it because it's nonsense. Yeah. But sometimes they do spill over into real life. And we've seen that with things like stop funding hate and the devil's... Oh, I just remember what I was going to say, by the way. I was going to say in that David Stubbs article, he said that um, and blah, blah, white men who were still more than fairly represented. And that was another thing that annoyed me at the article because they're literally... It's literally the complete opposite. They have a, a, like two white men on, on Live at the Apollo given the far more, you know, numbers of white men, straight white men doing comedy, because we're in England, most yeah. people do it at that. So it's like, no, they're literally not represented. Anyway, I, that was it. That just but, and, I, and I bet David Stubbs is a white guy, because this, this is what I saw in the comedy circuit. All these, like, middle-aged white men were, like, desperately trying to be woke and, like, talk down, you know, white men. It's like, man, you go, you go for it, guys. I mean, you're only putting yourselves out of work. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. It's all absurd, but... This thing about Twitter mobs, what do you think about this thing with stop funding hate? Because they've been, they've been destroying GB News with their advertising boycotts. And just to give an example of a tweet that, that did have an impact, stop funding heat, which is their devil spawn, replied to grind coffee and said, speaking of coffee, you can't, you know, are you sure you want to fund this hate or whatever? And they said, oh, you're quite right. We're taking all spend away from GB News, even though the CEO had been on GB News. Yeah. And so they took away all our advertising. So many companies have done this. It's creating huge problems for GB surviving. It makes our lives much more difficult. And you just go, and now it's come out that the a senior person at, at Stop Funding Hate has been accused of anti-Semitism for using phrases that are associated with wanting to basically destroy Israel, like from the river to the sea. Yeah, Amanda, and, is, I think it's Amanda Harris, she's called. Uh, and, some, uh, something like that, yeah. So, and it, something like that. And she's, yeah, she's, uh, she's come up with, just, I mean, like when we talk about anti-Semitism, it's not just like she hasn't said things that are mildly anti-Semitic. She's championed Hamas and said that they should have representation and more representation in the media. And Amanda uh, Morris, bit, bit Amanda Morris, yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, and Hamas, I mean, they want to stop GP News getting funded. GP News is like a diverse, pluralistic, you know, explores different viewpoints. It obviously, never says anything actually hateful because that would be a complete breach of uh, not just Ofcom laws, but also, uh, you know, uh, uh, incitement laws and, uh, you know, the the other laws, you know, the actual law, criminal law. Um, but she'll champion Hamas and say they should have, she'd rather shut down GB News and have Hamas News, uh, which is, uh, you know, frothing mouth terrorists demanding the, the extermination of all uh, of all Jews, uh, probably burning Jordanian pilots in cages. Uh, you know, that's the sort of thing she thinks is uh, is acceptable stuff to, to show in the news. Yeah, she also she's also used that that phrase from the river to the sea, which is calling for the complete elimination of Israel and the extermination of uh, you know I think half of all the, the Jews in the world. So I mean, she makes Hitler look like 
you know what I mean? Somebody who's not that bad. I'm trying to think of an example of somebody <laughs> who's not that bad. But yeah, and for her to then be taking some sort of moral high ground and for stop funding hate to be taking some moral high ground and say, oh no, GB News, GB News spread hate. It's like, you literally, you're calling for the extermination of all Jews? Like, you're the most hateful person. And this, uh, calling for GB News to be shut down is an extension of that same intolerant, bigoted mindset. And it's disgusting that corporations bow down to anti-Semites like this. I mean, what's the next thing that stop, once stop funding hate have achieved these objectives, are they going to move on to... Uh, uh, persecuting the Jews and demand that grind stop serving anybody who comes up comes in with a yarmulk on their head uh, I mean that's that's the next that's the next stage for for stop funding hate it seems to seems to me and I chilling. don't think I'm being uh, I'm being I don't think I'm taking that point too far <laughs> no I don't think you are at all well I, I wonder because I I think I used the phrase anti-semite in my tweet and I do wonder about the libel of that because people are always trying to get me sued now this is a new thing so I'm not sure whether I legally, I'm, I'm not going to legally say she's anti-Semitic, but I am saying... Oh, no, she's very... legally. She's legally anti-Semitic. That's an infinitely defensible position. Um, no, the great, the great thing um, about... Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. She's, she's, she's openly stated that she, uh, she wants Hamas to have more representation in the media. She's defended Hamas, and she's used uh, a phrase that she knows is calling for the ex extinction of Jews. I mean, she it... couldn't be more anti-Semitic if she goose-stepped... Uh, goose step down the road with a swastika on her arm. It's certainly incredibly bad and disturbing. And, and what it means is that, like you say, the idea that you're neutral anymore and you're just playing it safe and you're like, hey, we just want to stop funding hate. It's like, no, no, you are siding with some very specific and very nasty views. And yeah. isn't this the case with the bank thing as well? They tried to be, they talked about the values of the bank. What were the values of the bank? They were basically virtue signaling and trying to avoid trouble by kowtowing to woke ideology and saying we're inclusive and we're tolerant and all this bollocks. And, and, and you go, okay, so you think you're playing it safe. And by withdrawing funding from GB News, you think you're playing it safe. But there is no more playing safe anymore. There is only choosing sides. I mean, you can stay out of politics entirely, which no one seems to manage to do, or you have to pick a side. Because I think people just thought, oh, we can just be woke and, and we'll be safe. But they're not really... Because look at how badly this cootsing's going down. And look at some of the boycotts that have happened. We had Wix, which was a sort of smaller version. But obviously, in America, you had Bud Light and Target. Do you think there's now a pushback, Leo, to the point where you're going to have to either shut up completely about politics or be very careful about which side you pick? Yeah, I mean, um, it's been it's been like that for a while now. And, you know, I've got friends, especially in the, in the media, especially in acting... Uh, comedy, music, stuff like that. I mean, you saw what happened to Lawrence Fox. You know, he went on uh, on Question Time and you know espoused some some opinions that were perfectly reasonable and definitely not illegal uh, and, and totally understandable. And he's his career is incredibly successful career. You know, making what you know like um, seven figures a year from acting, just like that. Over. So people really have to toe the line. They really have to, to watch what they're saying. It's like, it's, you know, I was saying the Salem witch hunts when, you know, everybody had to be careful uh, not to say or do anything that could be um, construed or perceived to, to be witchcraft. Uh, it's, the, it's the same thing. And um, I've, got, I've got friends who are actors uh, in, in America and they say, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm voting for Trump, but man, I'm putting Joe Biden you know, 2020 on my on my Instagram or whatever because I've got to work, and that's you know that's the sort of coerced, compelled speech um, that that we're we're living under. And man, that that can't end in a. It's not like this stuff is going to roll back itself. It's going to keep going until we have like another Chinese Cultural Revolution, until we have like public struggle sessions, and uh, and people going to jail and, and gulags. And I have heard from sources I can't actually reveal that, that there is a, so much of this, especially in things like acting. So many people say, I'm not sure about all this stuff, but I have to go along with it publicly. This is massive now. And it's like the Soviet Union. Like, no one believes in this stuff. Yeah. It's a tiny percentage actually believe it. But what about my other question, though, Leo? Is, that, is there now pushback to where you pick the woke side? That's not the safe bet it once was. Look at Coots. Look at all these companies. Do you think that's now a significant pushback? Exactly. I mean, there's a big cost being attached to being attached to to some of this stuff. I mean, uh, Bud Bud Light, their their parent company, and and Hooser Bush or whatever they're how you Anheuser Bush. Yeah, whatever. Um, they uh, <laughs> let's just call them Bud Light. 
Uh, they lost like over twenty billion dollars off their market share, and it's it's not coming. People are like, oh, it's not ju- it's just uh, you know variations in the share price. No man, that's that's not coming back. They've Bud Light for two decades. It was the number one beer in America. Now it's number two. It's been overtaken by by a better beer, Modelo. Um, but yeah, there's there's now a cost attached to to some of this stuff. And you're seeing it with Ben and Jerry's as well. Uh, you're seeing it with uh, with Target with Wicks, and you know for decades, well. This long march through the institutions and through the corporations happened with ESG and EDI. So every HR department is running all these uh, all these woke training sessions about you know twenty reasons why why you're an evil racist and you know uh, uh, here's the, the latest pride flag that you've got to bow down and worship and all the rest of it um, and ESG as well. Uh, you know, pushing all this stuff. You know, oh, you've got to have these values. Got to have diversity on your board and all the rest of it. Um, Otherwise, you won't get access to, to preferential rates of funding from, from Vanguard, from BlackRock. It's, it's reached the point where it's not... And obviously, it was gonna, at some point, it was going to stop being profitable because, man, how, would, how, how, is that, like, how is that leading a commercially beneficial decision? If you're doing things based on tick box diversity or, or based on these concocted values or cancelling... Uh, lucrative clients like Nigel Farage and signalling to other lucrative clients who have the same opinions as Nigel Farage, oh, we could do this to you. That's obviously not commercially beneficial. So I think, yeah, now there's a there's a cost associated to it. The cost is going to take a while to ripple through to the pension funds and to the, the people who are actually uh, funding the money that's pushing these decisions. Uh, but, you know, now that it's starting to hit those pension funds, now that, you know, these decisions are being seen... It, they're not commercially beneficial. You would have made more money if you, for example, kept Nigel Farage as a client or uh, didn't alienate your beer drinkers or, you know, didn't force everybody coming into your bank to, to wear sparkly rainbow hot pants and, uh, and you know, do the, do the Black Lives uh, Matter knee salute. Like yeah, exactly. now that now that it, now that that's happening, I think it's going to have have an impact. And in fact, it's already happening in uh, in America. There are pension funds getting sued because they're saying, that, you know, the people with the pensions are saying, you didn't invest my pension where it's going to make the most money. You invested it according to these concocted values. You by law, you've, you're supposed to get the best return for the investor. Yeah, fiduciary responsibility, and in America, it will be done through aggressive lawsuits, no doubt. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, we talked about. You've said it's like Salem. Andrew Doyle in his book said there was an Ipswich Bridge moment. It's called the Ipswich Bridge moment, where where these people, these uh, these girls, tried to say, "Oh, she's a witch," and where in the past everyone had gone for the last year, everyone had gone, "Oh, yeah, she's a witch." They just ignored it and it ended like that. That's the yeah. way that he says wokeness could end. But there was also a moment which I'm remembering a bit sketchily, but where someone in authority rules that this this witch thing it can't be put into law, and I'm I'm, I'm badly paraphrasing that, but there needs to be a similar moment where someone in High authority just says, "Tell you what, this is nonsense. This is this is this is not efficient for our shareholders, or whatever it is." Someone needs to just shut it down at that level. And like you say, maybe it's already happening, and that's how this stuff could end. But they just hit a point where the bottom line just takes over. The bottom line sort of gets pushed back somehow. This ESG stuff, where's all the money coming from? How yeah. can you just keep alienating your customer? So there's some kind of sort of fake money just being pumped in. But at some point, you think it's got to end where they just say, we can't do this anymore. Well, ESG, to a certain extent, is a, or over, over the last few decades, has been a pyramid scheme. So um, because you know investors want to do good with their money and because you know we've got this it's a sort of socially emergent thing where people want, you know have values and all this sort of bollocks instead of just wanting to want to make money a lot of it's around climate change and stuff like that um, so a lot of pension funds you know big um, uh, you know university investment endowment schemes whatever whatever they're called uh, a lot of these big chunks of money have been like no we want to do good with this money so they've uh, you know the the ESG has made sure that they invest according to environmentally sound, socially sound, you know, gov- governance, uh, governmentally sound um, schemes. But I mean, the trouble is, as we've seen, you know, trying to have rules that do good, most of the time they, they do bad. You know what I mean? Like even, uh, you know, how would you, and even how do you assign morality to, to an investment? You know, for, for years, uh, arms manufacturers were seen as, you know, the worst possible, you know, um, ethical the worst ethically, morally reprehensible uh, investment. But now, now that we need arms manufacturers to to help Ukraine defend itself, are they still ethically reprehensible? Now that they're 
helping these people defend their their country and, and free their women and children. It's you know you can't you can't assign morality to to corporations. They they operate within a regulatory framework and within the law, and they they exist to generate the best returns for investors. That's got to be it. You know what I mean? You can't yeah. have all you can't have all this. Speaking of the war, because we're running out of time, and there's so oh, many yeah. things I want to ask you. You've been very like hawkish on the war, where some of my listeners are more um, skeptical about it, and you're you're sort of full on because. Sometimes I think, now this may be, you could criticize this as a, what Scott Adams would call a basic heuristic. You could just say, I'm, this is not rational. But, but I sort of look at it and go, I'm, always, I'm suspicious of Zelensky and things like this because, and you might say this is bad reasoning, but because the people I hate always push him, like the Trudeaus and the sort of globalist people, I always go, what's going on here? Now, it could just be that this war has emerged, it's, Putin's the aggressor, of course, and, and therefore everything has virtue signaling attached to it now. So we have all the Ukraine flags and we have the virtue signaling element separate from the sort of fighting element. And it's really the virtue signaling that I'm opposed to. But it has made me a bit suspicious. Whereas you've been sort of fully sort of hawkish on the war while sort of seeing through this sort of globalist nonsense in general. I don't know, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I thought there's surely some areas that, uh, that you know, that cross over, that transverse this, uh, this culture wars divide. And we can we can ag- agree, uh, you know, are, are a bad thing. There aren't many areas. I mean, I'd have thought, you know, uh, for example, drugging and maiming children uh, to affirm their their gender. That would be something that you know everybody could see is is probably uh, like a bad thing. A, a lot of times, uh, it seems to just be people on the right who who can see that as as uh, something that could lead to problems in the future. Uh, cutting people's dicks and, and tits off, uh, you know, might be something they regret in the future. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this the thing about the thing about Ukraine, and I, I think a lot of people, you know, maybe listeners to your podcast or you know whoever, and I've seen this in a lot of groups, a lot of people I made friends with uh, during lockdown because we were opposed to uh, we we're opposed to lockdown, we we're opposed to the ridiculous laws, the authoritarianism that was creeping in. Um, they became so entrenched and so tribal that, like you say, because the other side, because woke people are supporting Ukraine, they're like, oh, that means I have to not support Ukraine. Oh, there must be something suspicious about this. And then they, you know, they fish around, they dig around for things to justify their position. So they're like, oh, Ukraine's corrupt. It's like, what, you think, you think being controlled by Russia is going to lessen the corruption? Like, that's an absolutely asinine idea. I mean, obviously, if Ukraine was part of the European Union, for all of its faults, it would be less corrupt and it would be more stable and more prosperous. Uh, so that's ridiculous. You know, they say, oh, you know, Ukraine had biolabs, Ukraine had this, blah, blah, blah. Oh, Ukraine, NATO was expanding. It's like, yeah, NATO's fucking great. NATO is like the, the front line of Western liberal democracy. NATO is exactly what we should be standing up for. How come we, how come we're not, like... N- the thing that I don't get about Ukraine, we should be delighted that all these wet lefty liberals are supporting Ukraine. Particularly as, I don't know if you've seen, you know, the Azov Battalion and just general sentiment in, in Ukraine. Ukraine is a, is a deeply Christian country. It's, uh, it's majority white, it's something like 98% white. Uh, they're defending themselves, defending their sovereignty and their people. Uh, against uh, against Russia, which is a multicultural, uh, global homogenized, um, in- increasingly Islamic uh, uh, Eurasian country. So, I mean, to see all these um, woke lefty liberals supporting um, people who are, you know, substantially to the to the right of me. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, like, this, this is it's great to see. It's great to see you standing up for the Azov Battalion. You know what I mean? Like, even, I, even I'm like, whoa, whoa, they're a bit spicy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, not sure about the swastikas, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 There is a fascinating paradox, like you say, that um, the, uh, the globalist sort of centre-left, whatever you want to call them, the liberal elite, or whoever it is, is sort of, yeah, supporting nationalism and Christianity and, a, yeah, a sort of homogenous state or whatever. Or ethnically fairly hom- homogeneous. Yeah, that that is fascinating. But you're saying we're exporting Western liberal democracy. I think a lot of people have this problem that 
what is Western liberal democracy? And because it's become so woke and corrupt yeah. and pathetic, they say, can we even support that? And that's where Putin comes in with his quite clever speeches saying, oh, we don't want to have, we don't want to have trans children and something. And then people in the West go, yeah, good point. You're making yeah, good points here. And you see other countries like Hungary, you know, Viktor Orban has been, has been saying, you know, and he's, he's used it as a justification to, to increase sort of uh, oppression of LGBTQ people in Hungary. Because he's saying, like, look what they're doing in the West. And that's the damage. I mean, the damage that this, all this drag queen, drag queens in primary schools stuff and, you know, pornography and school library stuff, it doesn't just damage kids in the West. It also gives, uh, it, it sort of accelerates the oppression of LGBTQ people around the world. So, yeah, it's, it needs to be stopped for more reason. I can't believe, you know, we've sort of taken the eye off the ball. Like, I'm, there's so few people pushing back against this madness. I think the, the trans thing is one of the things that's going to that's gonna um, sort of galvanise people to, to push back against it. Because so much of it has got nothing... I mean, I get that there's there's uh, people who feel they're a different gender and they want to live as that gender. You know, if, if, they're, if they can convince, if they can do it convincingly, fair play to you. If you're like some, you know, Isla Bryson, like a double rapist, like facial tattoos, like big hulking muscles, like people like, oh yeah, you know what? Yeah, well, now I've been convicted. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a woman. You know what I mean? And all the liberals are like, oh yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a woman. That's a real woman. It's like, are you fucking insane? That's not a woman. That's somebody abusing these dipshit rules that you made up. Yeah, your test has always been, would Leo shag you? And I always think it's not a great system because it's, it requires you to step in and do so much work, Leo. It can't really be systematized. You have to sort of, a case-by-case basis, if Leo thinks you're hot, you pass as a proper trans. But I just don't think it's workable. I can train other men in <laughs> recognizing. So Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, you know, I, I do wonder about the Ukraine thing, whether anything is outside the remit of the culture war anymore. There doesn't seem to be anything. We, you know, One might imagine a pandemic might be, but that wasn't. So nothing seems to be, like you say, transitioning children isn't. And, and because the establishment seems to be evil and wrong at every point, I now just do go, well, they say it, so it's probably evil. I sort of do. I mean, it hasn't really failed me yet, Leo. Masks were nonsense. The vaccine was nonsense. You know, I've been right like every time just applying my basic kind of, that must be wrong. It's just my basic intuition. So I'm Yeah, not but sure. look, at, look at Ukraine. I mean, like you're wrong in Ukraine. And well, like, I don't know. No, I don't man, have a very like, strong feeling either way. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not as, you know, whereas well, masks are like bollocks. I'd say, you know, if it was some sort of, if it was uh, some sort of, like drag drag queen story hour that was getting invaded by by russia and we were funding all these you know drag queens to uh to help them transition children quicker then it'd be obviously you know a culture wars issue and and wrong but it's not it's it's literally the people that you know i thought we were all standing up for you know what i mean and particularly as you know mass immigration i think is is one of the uh things demographics is destiny and you know i i think europe needs to protect its borders and we're seeing ukraine ukraine do that um in a very you know obviously a very visible way um and i think you know that's that should be celebrate not celebrated but that should be um we should back that okay yeah i like the idea of them invading drag drag queen story i don't know how that would work but on on immigration because that's another thing i wanted to ask you and we don't have much time annoyingly but i wanted to ask you about that you claim that automation will stop immigration to me the other day. I was skeptical, but what, what did you mean by that? I saw this documentary called Terminator 2, right? And you can make these robots... No, um, like, basically, uh, automation is going to increase productivity. We can see um, chat GPT and AI sort of increasing productivity. Even when I went to, to write an email this morning, it came up, it was like, oh, do you need any help writing this email? And it wasn't that dipshit little paperclip guy. It was, you know, it was a real thing that could help write an email. Um, so we're, we're going to see... Um, we're going to see AI, you know, really help with all the sort of nonsensey uh, computery nerd work that people do. Uh, but also, automation is going to reach the point where we've got drones that can pick fruit and stuff like that. So that's going to reduce the need for manpower, physical manpower. And the big driver for for immigration is the fact that you know we don't have um, we don't have enough people to to work in the fields and in the hospitals and all the rest of it. Uh, and and the trouble with uh, the trouble with sort of the the elites that that run everything, uh, the woke blob that runs everything is they just see a country as an economy. They see it as a balance sheet to be to be totaled out. Uh, so they they don't they don't want British citizens to have children. 
because they'll have to pay for the healthcare of the child, they'll have to pay for the, the woman to take time off work, they'll have to pay for the education of the child, and then finally when the child's about, you know, 22 and it's done all the schooling and stupid degrees and stuff, it'll finally be able to do some work, except it won't do any work because it's Western, so it'll just be focused on fucking pronouns and cutting its dick off. You know what I mean? Like, it's never going to be a good worker. Um, whereas you can just import these uh, these 22-year-old men from uh, from Syria or Afghanistan or whatever, and they, they hit the ground ready to hop on that Deliveroo bike. So, you know, they, the, the powers that be really want mass immigration. Uh, because uh, not, not only that, because if you keep increasing the population through mass immigration, then uh, the, the price of housing goes up. So if you're, if you're a, a rich person uh, in power with influence, you're going to own property. You want that property to keep going up in, in value. Um, uh, you want your, your rental yield to keep increasing. And at the same time, you want cheap workers to, to work in your factories and work in your businesses. So, yeah, ma mass immigration for them is, is perfect. But I think automation is going to, you know, the, the big argument that's said is like, oh, the economy needs it. Man, number one, we've got a country, not an economy. The economy serves the country. The country doesn't serve the economy. Like, so the economy doesn't need it. We've got to look at what the country needs. And, you know, we've got to look at social cohesion and our values. You know, you want to talk about being led by values, man. You know, I think uh, I think the sort of Judeo-Christian values that founded uh, Western liberal democracy are are pretty good, and I don't really want them corrupted by people who think that, uh, for example, it's okay to um, to to rape uh, you know twelve-year-old girls because they're a, they're different, they're from a different um, ethnicity or religious background from you. Uh, mm. And you know, we, and we've seen you know with with grooming gangs and stuff like that is is such a vastly uh, different set of values and, and culture. Um, like the, the grooming gang guys, they, they'd like phone up their mates, phone up their brothers, uncles, uh, all, all their friends, be like, I've got a, I've got a, a drunk 12-year-old girl here. Do you want to come around and, uh, and rape her? It's like, man, that is, that's a cultural difference. You know what I mean? We, like, you know, even UK, uh, traditional UK pedophiles, I don't think they phone up their, their brother, their friends, their, their uncle and be like, I've, you know what, I've, I've got one in the van. You know, I've said there were some puppies, uh, got them in the van. Do you want to come around and help? Like, man, that, that just, you know, pedophilia was always, I think pedophiles were, were kind of more lone operators and, and embarrassed. They weren't like putting an ad on the Tesco notice board being like, do you want to come and help me? You know. The, the good old Queensby rules paedophiles. The old tradition, <laughs> the traditional British paedophile. The traditional British paedophile is like uh, is the old elite I was talking about before, Leo. We need to get back to the good old values of the traditional paedophile. He was a load operator. That's like that whole section I was just mentally adjusting the YouTube monetization settings in my head, thinking we've got to put controversial on this, sensitive events. Um, that was great, but... Um, but Leo, the only thing. And obviously, when I talk about immigration and stuff, I'm not. I'm not saying they're all. But like the the that whole um, culture of the the grooming gangs that that wasn't that didn't start in Salisbury in you know the 1200s. That's you know that's a that's a different thing. That you know Islamic terror. That's that's something that's been brought into the country. And people say now, oh yeah, but so many so many terrorists are, are born here, so that shows it's not immigration. No, that shows that cultures and ideologies don't die when you bring them into the UK. You know, they're, they're not cured by, we don't have magic soil that imbues people with, uh, you know, Western liberal values. So that actually makes me more, more worried about uh, about immigration. I mean, I really, I, I hate to sound like a bigot, but I think the number one route into the UK should be through women's vaginas. Great point, Leo. Um, that well, the, the the place I disagree with you on immigration potentially is that I can see that automation could solve, but I just think they'll have immigration and automation. Then we'll just be eating the bugs in in little houses, and like, they'll just you know they'll just do it all because they won't just because they like immigration. Yeah, if it really is as you, if it really is just simply a utilitarian thing, then of course automation would end it. But if there is some other sinister agenda, or if they just have other reasons, or they're just used to it, or they don't figure that out, then immigration will continue, and we'll just have the automation as well. That's my more black pilled take, but perhaps it's not as logical as yours. But I just think yeah, all bad things will happen. I think we're we're seeing a reaction to it across Europe. Uh, although I mean, True. ironically, Britain looks like it's moving a bit to the left. Uh, if you know, you can get further to the left than the Tory party. But um, but you know we're seeing across France, Sweden, Spain, Germany, all these countries, people haven't been listened to. No nobody wants um, mass immigration from from uh, outside Europe. You know, I think 
cherry pick points based immigration people are, are fine with it's not a it's not a, a race thing or anything it's, it's about a sort of social cohesion and a um you know an in- integration thing um so we're seeing the the rise of sort of uh, parties that will do something about it like you know georgia maloney uh, and people like that not you know not far right parties but just more sensible parties that they'll, they'll actually deal with the issue and do what the people want which you know considering we're supposed to be in a democracy you know shouldn't shouldn't a democratic system do what the people want yeah i think the days of just calling it racist are over we saw lord heseltine who's a big remainer say we need a marshall plan we need a barrier around europe we need but he did say we need to give foreign aid so it was a more sort of touchy-feely version we've seen labor saying we might they haven't ruled out keeping the barges the migrant barges Whoever is labeled Tory has to get serious about this migrant thing. Everyone's going to have to get serious about it across Europe, yeah. whatever side you're on, or they just won't be elected. Assuming we even have fair elections, of course. I mean, I don't know anymore. But Lee, I've got so little time. I've gone over my time because we're, it's all I've got to go, and it's annoying because I could do loads more. So let me ask two really quick questions. I'd like to ask on the podcast. That one was this one is related to what we just talked about. But do you think Britain or England, if you prefer, which well you're Scottish, so let's say Britain is finished as a country done. Um, no, I don't, to be honest. I mean, I think um, Britain's strength is its, uh, is its our, our institutions enable this sort of freedom that engenders like cultural brilliance. So like all the, all the best sort of bands, um, films and stuff, we, you know, we've had a, a massively cultural impact on the world uh, in relation to our, to our size. Uh, and also, um, it enables sort of entrepreneurialism um, that you know you don't you don't get in in other places. You know, I think we, I think we've got a lot of the balances uh, between state and and freedom. We had them, you know, pretty well set in 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 the UK. Certainly in the in the eighties. Uh, I'm not sure about now. I'm just worried that you know we're see- just seeing the the creep of the state is getting bigger and bigger. We're seeing it across the the developed world. Uh, the state is in each country is is just gradually taking a bigger and bigger share of GDP. And I've worked I've worked in the state. I've worked in local government. I've worked in uh, you know the the foreign office. I've worked in various um, uh, quangos, and I've worked as a sort of um, a, a management consultant for for government as well. And it's. Um, the, the state is inherently inefficient and, and shit. As anybody who's ever lived in a country or dealt with uh, anybody who's who's paid from the public purse will know, it's inherently in, inefficient and corrupt and rubbish. Uh, so we need to keep the state as small as possible. Man, you could go, you could just go into Harringay Council and just like fire like, you know, half the people. And if you got the right half, nobody would notice a thing. They got like people developing policy and stuff there. I was, I was working, we had like a big policy department creating all these reams of policy. What's Harnigan need policy for? You're not, you're yes. not El Salvador. You're a tiny little <laughs> shitty bit of London. Like, yeah, and that is my counsel, and you're absolutely right. 100% agreed on all of that. And finally, you may have touched on this, but how do we win this culture war thing? Is it winnable? I think, um, I think we're going to need a, a lot of heavy weaponry uh, and, and drones. Not... Um, yeah, man. I think I think now concept. now that we're seeing now that we're seeing the cost, now we're seeing companies actually really feeling it. It hurts them. Previously, it was like it was like uh, they couldn't lose if they you know if somebody said something that they that's perceived to be virtuous. Ah, oh, man, it's great. You know what I mean? They they get more attention. They get more more whatever. Now we're seeing a cost associated with uh, with things that previously were only beneficial for a company. Even you know supporting pride or 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 whatever. We're seeing. Uh, we're seeing it bite back as as pride has sort of been um, sort of metastasized into something away from what it originally was. Um, so yeah, we're we're seeing the we're seeing the the cost, and also it's sort of like Catholicism. Wokeness is like Catholicism in Ireland. So for for decades, this carapace uh, held over the whole country of uh, Catholic values, but underneath it all, everybody knew it was bullshit. Everybody hated it, and the thing that brought it down um, wasn't some, you know, decree from on high. Thou shalt not support Catholicism and go to church. The thing that brought it down was word of mouth. So you'd have uh, mothers uh, having a horrible time, grandmothers having a having a horrible time, uh, being forced to, to have their children baptized. Uh, you know, not being 
not being listened to, uh, being the victims of uh, domestic violence and the local priest covers it up, uh, you know, having the, the paedophilia scandals um, and it, it being covered up and the priest being moved around and, you know, not dealt with at all. So the thing that brought it down was, was word of mouth. And I think that's what's going to bring down wokeism because nobody, man, unless you're, the only people who are really pushing it are the sort of mad, angry, ugly people with nose rings and blue hair who get power from it. They get power, they get to bully people, they get to, uh, they get to enforce these, these rules. Um, everybody hates those people. Um, everybody's just going along with it because you sort of have to. It's this, it's this thin, almost like a toffee, and it's so brittle. And you know, as soon as, as, soon as enough people question it, it's gonna crumble. And then what are we gonna do for a living, Nick? That's what I'm worried about. That is a big problem, yeah. I mean, what are we gonna do for a living? On the other hand, we'll be much happier, but we'll also not have a job, which could make us unhappy. So yeah, it's a bit of a problem, because we need to keep this disingenuous grifting going, Leo. Oh man, um, I love disingenuous grifting. <laughs> that's my favorite kind. Well, you probably offended all our Catholic listeners and me slightly with that comparison at the end, but some great answers. I wish we had more time. We've got to go. Where can, specifically, go specifically Irish. Specifically in Ireland. You mean the kind of the way it was dominating the country? I understand. Where can people find you? So I'm on Twitter, Leo Kearse. Oh, on YouTube as well. I've got over sixty thousand subscribers on YouTube now. I do videos uh, yeah. that are yeah, sort of like not dissimilar to this, I guess. It's Political rants. Just ranting. Political rants. And they're rants. funny. Yeah, they're very very good. Funny. Are you smashing it on YouTube? So go, what's your YouTube? Just Leo Kearse. Yeah, something like that. Leo Kears, I think. Yeah, like you'll that. find it. Yeah. And um, and probably this in, this particular interview will get a strike on my YouTube. But so <laughs> go to Leo's YouTube. Which feel is, feel yeah. free to edit out anything that's gonna. Um, yeah, it's just more work for editors. But well, it's been it's been very interesting though. Loads of good stuff in there. All right, and of course, if you're watching on YouTube, hit subscribe and like. If you're listening on audio, give it a five star review. And you can always buy me a coffee for my burgeoning coffee factory. Buymeacoffee.com slash Nick Dixon. And um, thanks for doing the show, Leo. Thanks for having me on, Nick. Cheers. See you soon. Bye. Bye.